Good evening. Three weeks ago, the American spacecraft Discovery One left on its half-billion-mile voyage to Jupiter. This marked the first manned attempt to reach this distant planet. Earlier this afternoon, the World Tonight recorded an interview with the crew of Discovery at a distance of 80 million miles from Earth. It took seven minutes for our words to reach the giant spacecraft, but this time delay has been edited from this recording. Our reporter, Martin Amer, speaks to the crew. The crew of Discovery One consists of five men and one of the latest generation of the HAL 9000 computers. Three of the five men were put aboard asleep, or to be more precise, in a state of hibernation. They were Dr. Charles Hunter, Dr. Jack Cable, and Dr. Victor Kaminsky. We spoke with Mission Commander Dr. David Bowen and his deputy, Dr. Frank Poole. Well, good afternoon, gentlemen. How's everything going? responsibility of any single mission element. You're the brain and central nervous system of the ship, and your responsibilities include watching over the men in hibernation. Does this ever cause you any lack of confidence? Let me put it this way, Mr. Raymer. The 9000 series is the most reliable computer ever made. No 9000 computer has ever made a mistake or distorted information. We are all, by any practical definition of the words, foolproof and incapable of error. Hal, despite your enormous intellect, are you ever frustrated by your dependence on people to carry out actions? Not in the slightest bit. I enjoy working with people. I have a stimulating relationship with Dr. Poole and Dr. Bowman. My mission responsibilities range over the entire operation of the ship, so I am constantly occupied. I am putting myself to the fullest possible use, which is all I think that any conscious entity can ever 
けに塚のてっぺんの崖っぷちでは二人の少女が肩を並べてブランコをこいでいました At dawn, at the top of a hill on a cliff, two girls glide next to each other on swings. The force of the wind lifts their skirts from time to time. All I can see are their backs, not their faces. They leap into the open air, alternating, and return to the ground with equal speed. Again, just like a pendulum, gradually drawing an arc. So high they almost flew with the swings. One afternoon, a downpour, children dance on the surface, spinning round and round, such beautiful. Two girls compete on the swings. Who can touch the stars? Slowing down little by little, the girl on the right starts to talk. The other girl doesn't hear, but she continues to talk. I can't hear what she is saying. I see the moon in a puddle. Trembling up and down, left and right, an unclear image. I cannot look anymore. Off the swing jumps the girl on the left. The other girl looks back at me, but who is she? I can't recall. She's saying something to me. I can't hear her voice. All things must turn, except the mountains they won't learn. Say no, say no. You say river. All eyes on me as I fall into the sea. Say no, say no. You say river.
An Average Sadness by Ameni Rosa of Williamstown, Massachusetts. It is with small shame that I moved to turn on the radio today. Radio is the friend I usually neglect, the friend I only think to call upon when life has turned sad and desperate. I always return to it flushed with guilt, but it is always waiting for me. It is always ready to take me back. When I first lived alone, I listened like so many each day. When I awoke in the mornings and again in the evenings, when I returned from work. While I waited out the siege of my first New York summer, radio sounds were the only ones I could tolerate. And so, when my first relationship went bad, I found myself in an apartment steeped in brown, and again, I turned on the radio. The taste of yucca, which I fried for the first time in that tiny kitchen. The smell of smoke-saturated curtains and Murphy's oil soap. The interviews, the news reports, the long recitation of member stations in the Berkshires. These are bound to each other and to me. They are the taste, the smell, the sodden air of that isolation. Radio was made for the lonely after all, the displaced and the out of touch. Unlike television, which stares stubbornly in a single direction, which demands the attention of the whole battered body, radio is everywhere. Single people need radio, for only it can fill the enormous empty spaces that even their smallest apartments harbor. It does not spite us for our distraction, but tactfully begins from the moment we switch it on. Its sound is our guardian angel, ubiquitous but unassuming. We move about our business while radio patiently follows. Its persistence soothes even our most sudden and sharp-edged isolations softens the spaces between our souls and the ever-distant walls. In these ways, radio is forgiving, and the lonely are in need of forgiveness. Last spring, it seemed, my whole life abandoned me. A needed job fell through. My relationship failed. I took the first, smallest, dingiest apartment that offered itself. I didn't have the patience or the courage to look further. I switched perfumes. I listened to the radio and words started to drop in on me without warning. As I shivered in the rush of possibility, my comforts and routines wrestled away from me. I became aware of the air nearest to me. This air knew my skin. It was warm with my own voice. Sheltered, I grew still. I lifted plain and shining words from the cold that braced my insides. They swam to me. They offered themselves to my net. For months, I lived like this, avoiding new friendships, neglecting the few that had survived my prior couplehood. I postponed getting a new job, preferring to subsist on coffee, on toast, on the sun that would brave my filthy windows. These days were indulgent and untenable. I would have to find work. I would have to revive old friendships. I would have to form new ones. The harvest would fall off. Though I cried myself to sleep each night, this time was as sweet and as thick as any I ever lived. Each moment I distilled and drank off at my leisure. Each day I reaffirmed my greed from my own uninterrupted time, and only radio was invited. I grew strong alone like that, but slowly practicality ended my respite. I moved in with a friend, I took a job, I fell in love. Falling in love is like painting yourself into a corner. Thrilled by the color you've laid down around you, you forget about freedom, 
shrinking at your back. Neglected, my river slowed, my catches grew meager. I stopped listening to the radio. I once again began to think of time alone as something to spend or will away, rather than something I could stretch myself across. And now, now that I have forgotten, things prepare themselves to fall away again. Another love will leave. I will take an apartment by myself. I feel the air turn crisp, the walls edge farther from my body. Shivering, nervous, I turn on the radio for the first time in months. Paul Auster is reading a story about a girl who lost her father, who dragged a Christmas tree down the streets of a midnight Brooklyn. He is asking us for our stories. There are conditions that they be both brief and true. But I have no deaths, no travels worth repeating. I have no strokes of wild fortune or incredible tragedy. I have only an average sadness. Worse, I have been unable to write for weeks now, my mind riddled instead by imminent departures, imminent change. Then it strikes me. This moment is the friendly hand of solitude. The radio is inviting me back. Back to the rooms it will fill with its voice of warmest flannel, back to the warm light of time spent alone. I have recognized the invitation only as I have written these lines. This is my story, complete with the climax that is now. Sometimes it is good fortune to be abandoned. While we are looking after our losses, ourselves may slip back inside. Thank you.